This is Chris. And this is Andrew, and welcome back once again to Video Games Cover to Cover. This is Chapter 75 overall, and Part 20 of Dragon Quest Eleven. I did actually remember to look it up in advance this time. Here's the thing, though. I thought that we were going to do chapters of each game. So instead of being parts, they would be chapters, and okay. episodes would be the total number of okay. episodes. Okay, I can... Start doing it that. All right. Welcome to episode 75, chapter 20. Well, no, that, I, I was just having a little dialogue here. I figured that might that might make a little bit more sense because if, if we're thinking of each game as a book, then each part would be an episode of that or, or chapter of that book. Yeah, no, that's fair. I, I don't care how we do it. I, I am here to please, sir. That's, 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 that's a weird thing to say. You know, I thought we were you know, a partnership here. And if you're just here to please me, then that's a little, uh, to be honest, you've done a really terrible job so far. If I'm, is, is this our, is this our court? This is wait. So we didn't do a review last year. So at this point, I think you need to just like, is it, this you is like had a 15 a month. This is like a 15 month review at this point. Yeah. So I'm going to need you to fill out your own review and give it to me in the form of words right now. So I think I've done a you know fairly solid job overall in my duties here on this podcast. You know I've re- I've really kind of elevated to the next level when we talk about like some of the deeper conversations. And you know some of the games I suggested have been some of the most successful, like Pathologic Two. Well, that was a one shot. You're right. And the other game, which is what I suggested, The Witcher, is done absolutely amazingly. Yes. As I assume Cyberpunk will when that ever comes out. Uh, I think next month, still. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Andrew. So, as far as overall, I'm going to have to say that you're a needs improvement. Ouch. Absolutely savage. As far as deep conversations are concerned, I'm going to have to say fully meets. Okay. As far as... The PR guy, I'm also going to have to give you a needs improvement. But for myself, I'm going to have to say I exceed expectations um, (laughs) in all categories, but uh, not being a dick. In that one, I'm going to have to give myself a performance development plan. Yeah, (laughs) I was about to say, you're going to need some improvement on that one. I'm going to, here's the thing. I'm going to fill out a performance plan and develop over time into an even bigger dick. <laughs> I mean, let's face it. <laughs> I mean, you, you are being, you are probably correct. That is the most likely uh, outcome. <laughs> given the trajectory of how I've known you over the years. Oh, geez. Wow. So wait. I thought I was way worse in high school, so I'm more of I'm even more of a dick now than I was then. <laughs> wow. 
man, I must be a true, like, pure evil at this point. You are a real champion of dickery. (laughs) Don't sell yourself short, sir. I can't disagree with you there. I would be remiss if I did. So anyway, here we go. Uh, Back talking about after... Wow, I blanked for a second after Jade. There's there's my needs improvement. You threw me off with your performance development plan, and I couldn't remember where we were. Well, we have to head to Sniffleheim. Right. Yes, we do. So immediately we- after Jade, you go back to I me. I zoomed back to Port of Alar because there is no way. Well, because you had gambling to do. Don't even pretend. I I, I was not gonna walk that distance. It's not gonna happen. No, I do all my gambling in Octagonia now. The roulette table, listen, there's basically a surefire way to get like 300,000 coins every single time, and that's just the gambit. Admittedly, you pay 232,000 coins to win 336,000 coins, but overall, that is a net gain of 100,000-ish coins. So you just do that for like, you know, 20 minutes, and boom, you're... You're just set for life at that point. I would love to know more about the surefire thing, but that's probably a little bit beyond the scope of what we're dealing with here. I mean, I can just show you. I'll send you a clip. Okay. You can put the mad secrets up in our Discord. Sure. For the people who you know are cool enough to be in the inner circle of Discord members. I'm just trying to make it sound cool. Don't argue with me. I wasn't going to argue okay, with you. good. <laughs> At least I wasn't planning on it. Um, we need something to make ourselves sound cool because we're certainly not doing it on our own. Whoa, speak for yourself, Mr. Needs Improvement. <laughs> I achieved a excellent. So, yeah, but you've you got to since you've got to work on that um dickery plan like nobody wants to hang out with you, man. Well, it's not necessarily that See, here's my problem is I may not seem like it. Uh, I am extremely antisocial when it comes to talking to people online. I really don't know why. For some reason, I just don't. And that's why you never notice me doing any PR stuff, because you never can't be bothered. Um, I follow our Twitter, sir. And I built the webpage. So I don't, you don't, don't give me that, Mr. PR guy. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, I am very, and, and people in the Discord have probably noticed this, but I'm very, like, not, I don't know. It, it's mostly just a self-confidence thing because I don't think I really have anything interesting to say, which at the entire point, it's like, well, why are you doing the podcast then? I don't know. To be perfectly honest, I really have no idea. But so that's why I basically never say anything because I'm like, oh, well, other people are already talking and they already have like, I totally agree with that. And what am I going to do? Like, I agree. So basically at the most I do is generally just react to stuff with Yennefer (laughs) and you'll know you like you'll look back at the discord. You'll be like, yeah, that's what he does. You'll know. If he puts well, and, a Jennifer down there. And occasionally you, pop in with an LOL when someone tags you in a meme or something. Exactly. Especially those uh, weaponized penguins meme. Oh, that was good. I, I enjoyed that. 
Yes, weaponized assault penguins. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so, yeah. Meanwhile, however you do it, I walked back, but, you know, I don't specifically grind. I just take the long way and get experience as I go. But um, regardless, once you hop back onto the boat, you get... It, it's time to finally leave, you know, go through the gate at Porto Valor, and when you do, as soon as you emerge into the outer sea, there's a cutscene. Yeah, and here's the thing. This entire game, for the next, I don't know, two and a half hours, I mean, not podcast time, but game time, is about to just take a gigantic deuce all over Eric. I mean, we were sitting there in a previous episode, and we were talking about how, man, Eric is, he's, he has a fresh start. He's probably going to be like, oh, he may have this wonderful life and he's kind of moved on and everything like that. No, you get out to see and that Eric is basically like a poor beggar boy down in your, the depths of your ship. He's he's literally a stowaway, like scrabbling about in the, in the pantry on the ship. And so what happened to him between when his section ended in here because it seemed like he at least had a place he was going for the short term and somehow he's way worse off than he was. Yeah. He's like, I'm so hungry. I just really needed to eat food. And given the switch content, here's the thing. Did they, did the developers think that they did Eric dirty when they turned him into this poor beggar who's like scrounging for scraps and was like, you know what, from a switch perspective, let's give him the content he deserves and let's rewind back to Jade and then go, Hey, um, you know, she got about five minutes of content in the main game and we really feel like we hit that one out of the park. So let's just go ahead and just like quadruple down on that and just make her whole sec. <laughs> I have to assume that this game was developed exclusively by frat boys at this point. I honestly don't know what else I'm supposed to think here. I mean, I kind of just treat it as a whole group of people like Rab, honestly. Like, when I think about the developers, I just kind of think... Because, I mean, I know a lot of the people have been doing this for ages, and so I know they're, you know, certainly pretty senior, like Toriyama, you know, how old is that guy? So I think there's got to be... Not frat boys, it's just got to be an entire group of rabs. I mean, I I, I don't know. Maybe they were frat boys and they just never grew out of it. And now they're a group of rabs that are even worse. Because like, it, it seems like everything that, from my perspective, it almost seems like if they don't understand something, they're going to take it to the absolute maximum. And like, hey, let's be a creeper about Jade. You know... We don't give a crap about women. Let's just whatever. I don't know, man. Th- this I'm just sitting here thinking like from a Switch content perspective, they had a chance to go back and really undo some wrongs. And they were like, "Oh man, well Eric kind of got crapped on this whole ep This is my I have to assume this is what they were thinking. Because Eric's section is basically about him being in jail breaking out of jail and being totally awesome and then having a plan going forward and then things just don't happen to work out for him in the main game and then you continue forward. 
But they were like, okay, Jade gets about five minutes of content, and then you immediately get her back. Huh. What are we going to do with Jade? Uh, let's talk about how... Let's basically put her in this unbelievably terrible situation that she can't escape from. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Let's keep doing that. Yeah, Eric, we did... Eric, they're, they're, they're brainstorming, and they're like, okay, we did two things wrong in the original release that we got to fix. First up, we did Eric really dirty. We got we to gotta improve on him. Second, we didn't go far enough with Jade. Let's just really push the envelope on that one. Uh, yeah. When you, when at first when you said two things wrong, I thought you were gonna say we did a disservice to Jade and Eric, and I was like, wait, no, that's not what they got wrong. So so I'm glad you brought it back there, <laughs> because I I just wow. So anyway, not I mean I don't want to harp on Jade for another entire episode, but but it would be really easy to do because it does oh, yeah. bother us a lot. Oh, yeah, and here's the thing. I, I actually went out of my way to look it up, and pretty much everything I see universally agrees. Uh, so what about Jade and Silvando in Act 2? Yeah. I'm glad that we're not the only ones who noticed that, because it does make me feel you know a little better that about the overall state of things that people aren't just like, yeah, this is super awesome. What they did with Jade was great. Uh. So anyway, that's good to hear back, back to Eric being this unbelievable beggar. He still has no memories. Of course, the party goes down there and they're like, Oh, Eric, we know you. You're so cool. If he can't do it, I I was trying to make a rhyme and it it's see, here's Bad jokes are where I need some improvement. <laughs> well, I mean, you you should really be striving for a level above bad joke. No, I'm saying I have too many bad jokes that don't go anywhere. Gotcha. So I need improvement on the jokes, uh, on the on goofs the quality and gaffs. of the jokes. Okay, gotcha. I, I'm there. I understand now. And, and and he's he's scrounging around for food, and then he gets up as if they're about to like full on give him a beating. I'm so sorry. I- like, yeah, he like literally like cowers and stuff. It's it's honestly like a really depressing even just to see him like that. He he's he looks very pathetic right here. Eric, Eric, he's so cool. He'll beat the monsters till they drool. How about that? Except he won't because when he joins the party, he all of his skills are gone. Everything is gone. Yeah. He's wiped to zero. You get all of his skill points back, and I was immediately like, wow, he has a lot of points. And I went, look, yeah, his entire grid is completely gone. You can't do anything with him. Yep. So that's fun. Awesome. Let me So we get him back, but we really don't, because he's completely useless like that. The only thing he's useful at that point is, is just cannon fodder. Because then, at that point, you can... You can swap them out because you have enough characters, so you can keep your... You can use them to, like, trade for pep or whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sorry. Yeah, that's where I was going. I, I figured. And then he just I, gets I, beaten on the entire time. We're going to have to mark time. that down under needs improvement, too, man. Not knowing where you're going with your own conversation. Hey, that's a brain thing, <laughs> uh, and I would appreciate you not calling attention to it. So that's going to be a needs improvement on sensitivity training there, Andrew. I just want to point that out there, you know, ADHD is a real problem and I appreciate you not whatever I was going to say the rest of this. (laughs) Okay. 
fill it in, all you ADHD people, because you know where I was going. Do they? Yeah. Because okay. every single person with ADHD is on the exact same wavelength. There yeah, is kind of no wonder, deviation. Like, are we sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> I am 100% positive on this. But yeah, so we get Eric back, even though he's a, a, literally like a useless lump at this point. Because Can he even go into Pep? I didn't ever use him, but I'm curious. Like, Does he even have the ability to do that right now? Yeah, I don't think he can, and I didn't notice that uh, when I was power leveling, like, later on, because I never reset any of his skill points, and I think if you don't have a single skill point allocated, he can't actually go into Pep, because I kind of forgot about that, and I kept blocking with him, and I'm like, what is going on? I just want to use Hallelujah. What is happening with this guy? And like everybody else is going in and out of pep. And so then when I, I end the fight, I go in and I start allocating skill points. And then about 10 fights later, he goes into pep. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me right now. Like, I don't even need Eric. I don't need you for anything but to cast Hallelujah. That is it. Except, <laughs> you know, after this whole section, he gets an ability at the very top called Critical Claim, which is a absolute mess because critical claim is a guaranteed critical every single time period. It costs a ton of mana, but it is a guaranteed crit. So when you hit every single slime, you get around 200 ish damage for each that's, one. That's incredibly rad. Yeah. Because that, that would be a godsend against a metal slime. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's great because Jade has a similar move. It's either lightning thrust or thunder thrust. Thunder thrust is basically they're they're kind of the same thing, but thunder thrust is basically when it hits, it's always a critical. It just doesn't always hit. I think lightning thrust is is very similar. I don't really know what the difference is there. Maybe it's just that lightning hurts the slimes. I have no idea, but all I know is I honestly have no idea either because I, I'll admit I've been using her I've been using claws with her. Uh, no, I don't. I use, I use spears because it's like the a most amazing thing ever. She has multi thrust <laughs> and it's absolutely insane. In one of the upcoming boss battles, I think I did like over five hundred damage with one attack for her because she did multi thrust. And since there was only one boss, it hit it for a hundred every single time, and it hit like five six times. I did an insane amount of it. Spears are super OP for her. Nice. Who is your party? At the moment, uh, Luminary, Hendrick, Rab, and Jade. Wow, not even Sylvando? Not currently. Not your favorite character? Wow. And my, I guess my question is, why Rab over Sylvando? Because I don't have any other magic users right now. I don't even use magic. Because if I that use is really magic, weird coming from you. <laughs> magic is pointless in this game. It doesn't do anything. It's no different than attacking somebody with a sword. Magic is no more powerful than anything else. There's no point to using magic in this game at all, which is why I don't use it. If there was like burn status effects or anything like that, then it would be it would be it would have a point to it. But the thing is, like the the most powerful healing thing that I've seen in this game so far 
is Silvando's hustle dance. It costs 12 MP and he does over 100 to 150 to 200 health on every single party member. That's all I need. I put Silvando in, occasionally have him do hustle dance, and then I just have everybody flat out do physical attacks because they're so much stronger than magic. Magic is so weak in this game. I don't bother to use it. There's no point to use it. And I don't even use I don't even use healing spells because Silvando's hustle dance is enough. And don't get me wrong, from my perspective, yeah, it sucks that I don't get to use magic because I love magic, but what's the point of using magic in this game when it's useless? It does no more damage than physical attacks do. And in my case, because you can specifically, like, so maybe I just don't have the right staves or whatever. I guess that's a possibility, or maybe I don't have the right allocation on the magic people to do a ton of magic damage but from a physical standpoint when i do like four to five hundred damage on physical characters and i'm only doing 250 damage on a single magic attack that takes like 24 mp versus the 12 mp that i spend on my physical characters like what's even the point fair enough which is another huge disservice i have in this game why is magic so weak Magic, from my perspective, is so weak in this game. Which is interesting, because in a lot of games, Magic went... I actually feel like Magic frequently isn't particularly useful outside of healing Magic. Like, in a lot of games, that's kind of how I always am, and very rarely cast spells other than, like, the healing spells. And, I don't know, I maybe... I, I just feel like Magic in games very rarely feels balanced. I agree with you there. And in so many games... And when I say balance, like I, I usually feel like it's not good enough to justify using it, especially in games where, you know, you have the uh, long-term problem of I have to get through this entire dungeon with this much mana or whatever, so I always am hesitant to want to use anything. In this game, I actually use it more because of having a lot of options to get mana back in compared to a lot of other games. The party hat is amazing. It's an item that just restores mana when you're walking around in the overworld. Oh, that's super nice. So, like, I'm chilling out on Slime Island just healing myself by walking around. That's cool. And then I get up to full bars, and I recently got 354,524 experience. Wow, that is a lot of EXP. Yeah, I'm now level 57. My Luminary is 48, and he is, you know, by far the highest level, so. As we sail over towards uh, Sniffleheim... I don't remember if we mentioned last week or not, but in Octagonia, there was hints about some big gold iceberg that was blocking every all the ways in or out, and that was what we went to investigate. And yeah, there's a big golden iceberg. I got to be honest, I didn't talk to anybody, and the only reason I knew to go that way is because I was like, hey man, where do we go next? Because you yes, were ahead of me at the time. And I specifically told you, yes. I <laughs> and I was like, cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to go that way so I don't have to talk to anyone, because <laughs> even in game, I'm like, no, I don't. You nah. take antisocial to a really, like, you're really dedicated to being antisocial. Yeah. the the From my perspective, the luminary is like the, it, it literally is me. I just walk up, I don't say anything, and I expect everyone to have the full story. Except for in real life, they don't, and in the game, they somehow do. Presumably because you've told them. 
Yes, we just skip over the you telling them part and everybody just knows. And, you know, I, I can't complain about that too much because at least it saves a little bit of time than constantly having to listen to the you resummarize everything. Yeah, but on some level, based off of how... I'd like to hear Silvando summarize everything, especially after that story of, of where he was like, oh, you went fishing and they you met a ghost and it turned into a dog? I'm like, yeah, man, that's... That's what happened to me. That's it. Not the Luminary stuff. Not the Seer stuff. The fact that they've talked to Eric. Just the ghost dog. Good job. <laughs> if he summarized everything, I feel like I'd be so much happier. I mean, that would be pretty enjoyable, because every time Silvando tries to tell some kind of story, I would be pretty into it. I would love to hear this story from Silvando's perspective. It's really kind of weird, too, when you think about it, because, like, from the very beginning, well before we even had any other party members, every time you load the game, you get a story so far, just like in The Witcher, where Dandelion was telling the story, except here, it's apparently Rab that's doing it, because it's his picture in the corner, and it really feels like it ought to be Silvando. Well, because Silvando's will be filled with inaccuracies. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily inaccuracies, but a lot of pointless data that doesn't matter. It's like, okay, so you walked down the road for a while and you met a bug that talked. <laughs> it's like, well, you're not going to talk about like the boss we just fought around? No, I wanna, I'm going to tell more about this bug, darling. It's like, as you were walking through a dungeon, you got stuck in a spider web. Like, not talking about the gigantic spider creature that you fought and that killed us, me, uh, on some bad luck rolls. But, no, it, it, I would love to hear what Silvando has to say about everything that's gone on so far. Same. And again, he's clearly the bard archetype, so he really should be the one doing it. Yeah, except for the fact that Rab's the most important character in this game, because as you already mentioned, Rab is the developers. <laughs> yeah, well, that's why they like him so much, clearly. That is why every single character is obsessed with Rab. He, he's a self-insert, but he's a self-insert for, oh my god, so the that like flashback stuff in Rab's story in the Switch version was actually just a long metaphor for like, how the developers feel about themselves and how all of the other RPG series look up to Dragon Quest and how important it is. Yeah, because I definitely heard of Dragon Quest before you told us to play it. I mean, I understand Dragon Quest has been integral to RPGs. Whatever. <laughs> I had literally never played a Dragon Quest before this, and after this game, I'll probably never play another one again, if I'm being honest. Based off of everything that they've done with Jade, Puff Puff in general, it's like, nah, I want to spend my time min-maxing on Disgaea 6 when it comes out. Like, I'm I'm good. Apparently there's a new class that's a psychic, and I heard about that and immediately thought that you needed to know that. I didn't know that, but that's amazing. I don't know when this game is coming out, and I'm pretty sure it's like sometime next year, and that's really depressing for me, because <laughs> I love... Disgaea so much. I want to play that game right now, in fact. But I don't want to play 5. I couldn't, if I'm being honest, I couldn't really get into 5. I don't know why. I just could not really 
I felt like leveling was significantly harder in five and it almost seemed like, okay, well let's make it harder just to make it harder, which was kind of annoying. And I kind of hope that six fixes that a little bit. I, I, I kind of feel like the whole point of the game is to level up and become as awesome as you can, but why do I need to put 8,000 hours in it versus 4,000 hours? <laughs> You know I just I mean? looked. I just looked it up while you were talking. Uh, the release date is in late January in Japan, and then expected for summer for the U.S. Oh, I'm sorry. I know that that was not what you wanted to hear, but that's what it is. I'm moving to Japan, man. <laughs> they get all the good stuff immediately. You can just import it. Yeah, I could just import it, but that. I don't have a Japanese Switch, so it's not going to work on there. And what am I going to do? Import a Japanese Switch when you can't even get a Switch anyway? I thought... I didn't think Switches were region locked. I don't know. They might be. I don't know, man. This just sucks. This sucks. Summer? I mean, I, think, I feel like the bigger issue would be that you wouldn't be able to understand anything because... How dare you? I'm learning Japanese right now. Yeah. I just looked. Nintendo Switch, according officially to Nintendo, Nintendo Switch game cards are not region locked. So there you go. That's cool. So I'll be able to play it when it comes out in January. So I need to binge Japanese now. I'm going to start. I don't know if there's any basis in this at all. But <laughs> every single night, I'm just going to start having like Japanese lessons play in my ear. So just all night, I'm learning Japanese, even though I don't think that has any basis in reality. But then it's just going to be like that episode of Dexter's Lab, and you're only going to be able to say, like, two words. No, okay, first of all, omelette du fromage. The only reason why he was only able to say those two words is because it got stuck and skipped in the night. This is digital, bro. Unless my iPhone does some sort of weird bug that doesn't exist, that ain't going to (laughs) happen. The real question is, how am I going to do this that's not going to be annoying for my wife? I mean, legitimately, one thing I have always heard that's supposed to help a lot is watching stuff with subtitles. But, I mean, given how much anime you already kind of watch with subtitles, you've probably got whatever benefit you would get out of it that way. So you probably have to move on to the next step. There's just more things I have to do. That, that It is weird, though, because when I'm watching, because my wife generally watches uh, dubs because she doesn't, she has explained it to me as she doesn't, like, the reading the subs like takes away her immersion because then she can't like focus on what's going on on the screen, which I, I mean, I get on some level, but like when I watch things ahead of her, because I'm watching the subs, I feel like I've already watched it in English, which is kind of a weird sensation because I know that I haven't because the episode just came out, but I feel like I've already watched it in English. If that makes any sense at all. I don't know if anyone else who watches anime experiences that, but I mean, most people either watch dubs or subs. They don't generally go back and forth. Yeah. I was going to say anytime I've ever watched it, I've only ever watched one or the other. So I really couldn't comment on that. Yeah. Well, I have a mixed bag because if I feel like my wife would really like something, then I usually go back if there's a dub of it and I I'll watch it with her to get back to the game because of, this giant golden iceberg, you can't get in the normal way because the waterway's blocked off, so you have to go around. And we got the magic heart back from Jade that lets you travel in the water channels. So you have to go around to the one that's north of the area and then try to use that. But when you go to use that, it's boss fight time. 
Well, before that, I also tried to go back to the mermaid kingdom. Yeah, it won't let you do that. And it won't let you. It just says, there's no response. No one comes up to greet you. Which is ominous. Really, really ominous. I mean, it's about what I expected, given how things went when we left, but not what I was looking, not what I was hoping. And so Eric is standing there like a lost dog as this gigantic sea Cthulhu creature comes out. He's <laughs> like, I'm Alzarium and I'm going to eat you. And then the Luminary is like, haha, well, guess what, bro? Boom. Magic light energy. Now we can kill you. And, and Rab goes, I think we can put a dent in it now. A dent? <laughs> I was planning on murdering this fool. Yeah, I think we're going a little bit further than that. I mean, I'm, I'm putting a more than a dent in this guy, man. I'm putting a giant hole where his face used to be. I, when you were running through and you were doing Quadra Slash with Rab, yeah. and it was this tiny little sword that had to get bigger and bigger over time. It didn't prepare me for when I used it in a normal battle because I used Quadra Slash and he just summons this like entire party sized sword width wise, height wise, the size of like Yggdrasil itself down upon these <laughs> enemies. Yeah, it's I mean, when you read the description, it's like it hits all enemies and I'm like, okay, cool. And it, with it literally, it's like, um, the meteor falling from that one move in Final Fantasy VII or whatever that we joked about with Sephiroth, except it's a sword. And this is the biggest reason why I don't use magic. Because there's like maybe a handful of things in this game that truly hits all enemies, and magic isn't one of them. Yeah, it is. It's just You have to use the right spells. What? So, boom. There's there's two spells. There's boom and there's boomier. Boom, bang, and then kaboom when you get that, which I'm assuming Veronica will get, will get relatively soon. But there's also... Um, I have that on the luminary. Kakrak or Kakrak. So, I don't know, whatever. The third level ice spell, because Rab got it for me in this in this dungeon that's coming up, and that hits everything as well. So, maybe I'll start using magic again, but like... And it does quite a bit of damage since it took such a long time to get it. I, I it just it's insane to me how magic was really useful against those golems that were in the area because they're so resistant to physical, but they take they took like crazy high damage from rab spells. What golems? The like gold golems and stuff that are in that gold palace that's coming up. Oh, I just like one shotted those dudes. No, oh, well, I one shotted them when I used spells with rab, but they took very little damage when I did any sort of physical attack. Well, I did. I do so much damage with my other characters. Quadrus Unbridled br Blade is one of the most powerful moves, period. I do f like three to four hundred damage on that with the Luminary with a power sword. The only reason I'm not using the power sword anymore is because I was slime hunting for a while. And as soon as I'm done with that, I'm going to go right back to great swords because great swords are mega OP. Yeah, I, I use a great sword with Hendrik, and, and yeah, Unbridled Blade is amazing. Pretty much every time he gets a turn, he either does Unbridled Blade or Helio Chopper. Well, here's the thing. From my perspective, Hendrik does half the amount of damage that the Luminary does with the same sword and the same everything. The Luminary is 
seriously, like great swords are amazing on the Luminary. I'm probably going to switch Hendrick out to something else just to see he, if he's better at something else. I don't know. Because well, I mean, the Luminary is the only swords. one who can use axes, so that would, I, I am very curious how that goes for him. Yeah, I'm probably going to switch him over to an axe then. I didn't realize that there was... I didn't even know axes were in this game, but I'm probably going to end up switching him over to an axe because Luminary, for me, is going to be great sword for the rest of the game because it's so much more powerful than using even dual wielding. Because with dual wielding... The only way dual wielding would be better is the occasional chance that you happen to get a crit on both attacks. Because even when I get a crit on one attack, even a non-critical with a power sword is still better than anything. Like It's just so... Great swords are extremely overpowered on, on the Luminary, which is why I've been using them for so long. And so I think those golem creatures, when we were inside there, I was doing like 400 damage to them with the luminary alone. And the two moves that I use the most frequently now are pearly gates and quadra slash because both of them do a massive amount of damage on everybody. So I just end the fight almost immediately, which kind of screws up my pep situation, but that only (laughs) matters when I'm when I'm leveling slimes. Well, when I'm leveling from slimes. <laughs> no, these slimes are gonna get stronger, dang it. But you get to Sniffleheim and you find out that there is this gold This gold fever that everybody's yeah. locked up in which again, you know, resonates a little bit in the current environment of everybody having to stay in their house and being scared of a virus, but unlike the real world, everybody actually was doing that. And so at this point, I wanna mention Because, and only because of the instant gratification of this game, I sent you a text message specifically going, because we're going to be through this, I'm calling it now. The second we got into Sniffleheim, I'm like, Eric's sister was turned into gold. I just want to make sure that that's very clear. I called that the second I got into Sniffleheim. I I didn't know when you did it, but I do remember you sending me that text, yes. Yeah, it was the moment I got into Sniffleheim, I was like, and people had turned to gold. I was like, cool, cool, cool. That's what happened to his sister. And then as soon as I got to his sister and she did turn into gold, I was like, oh, that's the evil villain turning everybody into gold. <laughs> so I just want to I just want to point out that not only is the game story from my perspective in the entirety of Act 2 just unbelievable garbage but it's also so unbelievably easy to read because this game can't foreshadow for more than 10 minutes at any given time yeah for as long as this game is it is not willing to like slow burn anything which is really weird yeah because this is a really long rpg like compared to i mean it's not quite i don't know since we have ways to go but like you know Witcher 3 was a really, really long game, but there were things that we wouldn't find out about for hours and hours later, whereas this one's like, oh, something just came up? Okay, well, I guess we're going to find that out before we're done with this dungeon, because we can't wait for anything. So yeah, the pacing in this game, as much, and I do generally really enjoy Dragon Quest, but yes, the pacing in this game, which is interesting, because I think in, I don't remember it being this bad in previous games in the series that I've played. I wouldn't know. I know. That's why I'm mentioning it, because like, I feel like like Dragon Quest Eight, which was I think the first one that I had ever played, had 
you know, some some foreshadowing and stuff, and then it had a plot twist that, like, I, I, I seem to recall being fairly good at the time, as opposed to, you know, this one was, oh, well, the villain beat you, and now everything's in charge, which is like, okay, sure, that meant the game wasn't quite over or whatever. The best thing this game kind of did was just basically imply that, like, b- building, as far as a quote-unquote surprise was, was basically building the entire first act to feel like you're at the end of the game, and then, oh, turns out that was only the first act. Because it really did, like, you go so many places, and it's such a long first act that it feels like this is the end of the game now. Well, and then when the game does foreshadow something, an act before this, it feels the need to remind you that it's like, by the way, we foreshadowed it in case you forgot. Yeah, but, like, the thing with Eric having a sister, this would have been the first time this even, this came up at all. Not what I'm talking about. I know. But I was just going back to similar discussion about foreshadowing. But, like, the thing with Eric's sister would not have come up had we not been playing the Switch version. This would be the very first time it got mentioned. This would have been a really easy thing to mention in Act 1, and then there's some foreshadowing. But he doesn't ever bring it up until this plot starts. Yeah, because I think we said that I didn't even know he had a sister in the Switch stuff. Yeah, exactly. We, We definitely said that because it's true. It had never been mentioned before. So so once you get into Sniffleheim and you 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 find out that there's a gold fever, you go talk to the queen and she's basically like, "Listen, I I really don't know what to tell you. There's like this evil energy that seems to be causing this every, real everybody to turn to gold and everybody thinks it's Crystalinda." And I'm like, "No, dude." She's like, "For her safety, I had to lock her up in the dungeon, but I really didn't want to do it because I don't believe this is her." And so I, of course, immediately go down and talk to Crystalinda, and I'm like, "What? What is up? I know this wasn't you." And she goes, "Yeah, so I'm just like everybody else. You have assumed this is my fault." And I'm like, "No, nah, that's not why I'm down here. I am down here to affirm that this was not you." And I, I just maybe you have a clue because she said you were looking into it, and she basically says, "Hey, the clue is." Bro, those Vikings, there's something up. Well, yeah, and she's also immediately like, which I mean was was pretty clear from the beginning, just by virtue of nothing is going, nothing natural is going to be turning people into solid gold. But she's immediately like, yeah, this is definitely a curse. This isn't like a natural disease. Oh no, she doesn't mention the Vikings. You mentioned that 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 comes up almost immediately because then you go back outside. Yeah, because then there's a raid in the on the city, and a bunch of skeletons show up in a ship. And they're like, those skeletons seem familiar. And they steal all the gold. Mike, how do these skeletons seem familiar? What are you talking about? What do you mean? And not not only they steal the gold, they're stealing the gold people. Yeah, literally everything gold that they can, including bad people. And so... You you talk to this priest who was kind of talking to Eric, and then you find out the whole backstory. You you find out some of the backstory of Eric that they everyone in this town knows Eric because him and his sister kind of came through here with a bunch of pirates. And it wasn't that they were with the pirates. It was a situation of the pirates basically found them as they were about to die, and then they took them in. and. The pirates were using them, as we mentioned earlier in the game, as unpaid workers. And 
yet again, this is another moment where it's like, this really should have come up before now because we went and visited. The, I mean, you didn't have to go to the Viking area. I don't think there was any reason in Act 1, but there was a side quest that sent you there and stuff. And it really seems like the kind of thing that Eric probably should have had something to say about or somebody should have recognized him or something. Specifically the door that you can walk up to that was their hiding spot before yeah. she turned to gold. It just won't, the game won't let you in with no explanation. It's just, oh, it's locked. You can't go in. And that's it. But the, yeah, Eric has nothing, no comment about the fact. Or like, you know, well, it's not like he refuses to go. There's all sorts of things where like you could have built something here. It's but like, oh, again, Eric goes just, into a deep depression. <laughs> yeah. Once again, the game just left it alone. I also want to point out that in the character builder screen or one of the screens, when it's talking about all the people and what they do, you know, Jade is like fighter and Hendrick. I, I, he was like noble knight or something. Eric is literally Luminary's friend, specifically <laughs> the Luminary's bosom buddy. But Eric's title is just he's that he's that guy's friend, <laughs> bro. Like what? It, these developers must have been bullied by some guy named Eric, whom they absolutely hate because they're really taking this entire game to just <laughs> full on dump over this guy. I mean, so like the thing is like Eric clearly is meant to serve as the, which is, which is kind of weird since we have the luminary as you know, the silent protagonist, which is usually the one that the players are supposed to like, you know, be like the everyman that the players are supposed to see themselves as. But in this case, Eric is more of the everybody because he's literally like the only non-noble person like we talked about. And he doesn't even get to be a thing other than friend of the of the quote unquote hero who doesn't do anything. And his life is garbage, which I think speaks to most people these days. Yeah, it's a really he, Eric is very millennial. <laughs> it's like, dude, Eric should be the main character here. Not he really the luminary. Should. Like legitimately, he really should because he he feels much more main character in terms of the way he's built, like the way his story is told and stuff. And and, and so you you get there, and it gets to. Oh, we almost left out one of the most important things, though. When we fought the monster, we got the red orb back, and we both made the comment. Oh so why didn't he get yeah, his memories back? I totally he forgot got, killing. He got that the red orb. Why didn't he, he get his pointless. memories back? What? Well, because well, both of us had the reaction of. He got the red orb back. Why didn't he get his memories back? Yeah, it's like, bro, the red orb. Like, of favorite. course. I did. It was kind of funny when we get into that in a second, though, that they're actually, like, we actually got some art or reason why he cared so much about the red orb. It's such a depressing reason, man. This is, like, hardcore bad news. This entire section is pro easily the most depressing just because it's, I mean, there have been some places that have had, like, really bad situations or whatever, but Eric's has been the most depressing just because it's a much more, you know, personal story. As it, it, It's much easier to get depressed about, like, a story focused on one specific person and their crappy life than, like, when the whole town is having a problem because then it's, oh, this is a problem I'm going to go solve. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, er this section with Eric is easily the most depressing the game has been. The only other thing that came close was the Lana Lulu stuff in Act 1, I think. Are you just prepping people for the horrible stuff that's about to happen? I'm done now. I just wanted to. <laughs> you mentioned it. it I'm just so wondering just because it's it gets it gets pretty bad. So 
but but you're right. There is one more thing we needed to mention about that fight. He specifically, when he's dying, he tells the Dark One that the Luminary, the Luminary is, back. is back. Yeah, and they mention almost immediately. Rab's like immediately after he dies, he's like, "Yeah, you know, we need to lay low because the Dark One doesn't know about you yet, bro." It's ten seconds before that he literally just told the Dark One. I mean, assuming he actually told him and wasn't just like shouting into the sky, like did Mordigan actually hear that? I'm Except gonna guess probably. But. Yes, because he has the orb. Like that's one of his generals. If any, if it was just a random monster that was like Mordigan, hear me now. I'm assuming they probably wouldn't listen. But if his general is literally dying which I have to assume Mortigan would know. And then he goes, Mortigan, please hear me now. The Luminary is back. It's clear. The Luminary's definitely back. Yeah, I mean, don't get it wrong. Like I said, probably the answer is, does he know? Almost certainly. But it, it, the game didn't actually specifically show Mortigan listening or whatever. But yeah, we can probably take a guess. Honestly, given the, the game's ability to foreshadow things, we'll probably find out like 10 minutes after we cut off the the Eric plot. Well, we're about to find out during the Eric plot. Fair enough. So you get to you you get to that door because you go through all the pirates things and all the pirates are actually gone at this point. So you, they're Vikings, not pirates. Or whatever they they feel like pirates. I mean, they're Vikings. basically the same thing. Vikings, like historically, essentially were it like just. Was a, like this is specifically Vikings that we were told about, not well. Except Vikings would also generally wherever they pillaged would usually set up shop afterwards, whereas pirates literally just sail the seas and pillage. So I guess there are distinct differences between the two. Although in this case, the the Vikings as they've been described in this game don't seem to stick around very much. So they really kind of more are more like pirates. So I guess that there you go. I guess you've been right. Well, that's I, I. They feel a lot like pirates to me. And, and one thing I do kind of want to mention because we asked about this: the pirates. Well, see, now I'm even saying it. The Vikings come off. I, I mean, obviously, here we are talking about them keeping Eric and his sister as a, you know unpaid labor, as you put it. But in Act One, they seemed fairly friendly when you talk to them and like they people even talk about how you know the queen accepts them because they bring her tribute and stuff and i'm like these guys seem really bad for being like ex like just regular accepted members of society like what is going on here what are you talking about no one i first of all when you go there yeah sure they're friendly to you but what do you mean the queen accepts them well like so the side quest that you have with that merchant guy who sends you over there to begin with he talks about how the the reason they're doing this tribute like because you know they're citizens of the kingdom and that's like that's their job and this is like their taxes that they pay to the queen or whatever so like they're at the very least not like frowned upon despite the fact that they're keeping you know servants children as servants to do work for them which is really weird to put it mildly. I okay, I got the impression that that merchant was dealing with the Vikings so he could pay his personal tribute to the queen. Oh no, I got the impression that that was the Viking specific tribute because like even when you go talk to that one Viking, he was talking about, "Oh, this will be great for the queen and stuff." It's not like, "Oh, this will be good for that one guy. This is her favorite food. She'll like this." 
I I don't know. Maybe I missed the dialogue there. I did not get that impression. I didn't think that they were on friendly terms. I mean, regardless, like your way makes more sense because it feels really weird in Act Two how not okay they are. Well, not even just that because she talks about those. I'm pretty sure at one point she even mentions. So maybe it was just the priest or what, but it seems like all of the people in town are not cool with the Vikings. At least in Act Two, maybe because of the tonal shift of suddenly now they're stealing all the people or whatever. But I don't know. I did not. I did not get the same impression that you did. I'm gonna have to go back and. And I guess the other thing of it is, if they're really not accepted, they're literally like ten feet away on the other side. Like the queen could easily have sent boats or something to deal with them, but they never do. So on some level, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. But do you think Frizabel would really do that? I mean, maybe at the direction of Crystalinda, but that just happened. Okay, but well, the king before her, because I don't think the Vikings literally just shut up shop since the king died. I mean, maybe, but they kind of live in a hovel. I mean, it's not like they have a thriving economy. They, it seemed to me, it looks like they really have just set up shop here for temporary terms, because they don't have like beds or anything set up there's nothing really here it's just like a hole in the wall where they're currently staying but at the very at the very least they've been there for quite a while because eric and his sister had like their little shack and stuff well yeah that i know but i don't know how long that's been in the grand scheme of things with frizabelle and everything like that well that would have been before the king died because when we showed up she the Frisabelle was talking about how the king had literally just passed on shortly before you arrived. And this was like her fir- very beginnings of her reign when the Frisabelle stuff happened. Or the Crystalinda stuff happened. Regardless, I just, that, that stood out in my head while I was playing where I'm like, this feels really different from the impression I got in Act 1. But let's continue. Yeah, I did not get the same impression that you got. So this feels kind of the same to me, personally. It, it, it. Maybe I'm just, I I don't know, maybe I wasn't paying attention or what, but I didn't get the impression that they were friendly. I didn't get the impression that they were like, you know, enemies or whatever, but I did not get the impression that they were friends or working towards the same cause. Maybe they were before and the pirates were just jerks to, to Eric and... What's her face? I mean, clearly they were there if the if the Vikings went into town and they saw Eric and Mel with them. But on some level, the town also didn't do anything about Eric or his sister. So maybe to me that implies that, oh, okay, well, we'd like to help them, but we just can't because the pirate or they really feel like pirates, man. They don't feel like Vikings. <laughs> I don't disagree. Like I said, you got me started to say it now, too. Like, I can't criticize you. That's just because I've said it so many times. If they were friendly with one another, I kind of feel like the town is like, hey, don't worry. We'll take care of them. They seem like orphans. If they really had a friendly relationship, I feel like that would have been a conversation they would have had. But it doesn't seem like that's the case. But but anyway, so you get to the door and you see that there's a gold splotch on the ground and it's like, what's going on here? Eric is standing over there kind of off to the side by himself and there's a tree root. 
And this is, I think, the first time in the game where you get to touch the root multiple times. Why they couldn't just have the entire story in one fruit touch, I don't know. Yeah, because you do it, and then there's like a brief conversation of, oh, well, we're learning something. Go ahead and touch it again. And it's like, yeah, I, I wanted the same thing. Why couldn't we just do all this in one thing? So we will, because that makes the most sense to me. Essentially, the story goes, Eric and his sister are taken in by these pirates. His sister, and this is why immediately after all of this, I was like, well, she's definitely the evil person. Because the whole story starts off as Eric is doing additional work because she was trying to steal from the guy. And so he's getting his butt kicked, and uh, then they both end up getting their butt kicked from the, the chief guy because he she she's talking crap about him, and he happens to be there. And so he comes in, and he's, like, cracking his knuckles and everything. And it's like, cool, let's, okay, let's beat up on these children. That's awesome. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> really, it looks really bad for the for Frizabelle's kingdom if they are friendly with these Vikings and not doing something about this. I mean, honestly, even if they're not friendly with them, not letting this happen because they at least recognize those kids are there. Well, there's it might be. I mean, we've already established that basically the only country that really has any sort of military presence at all is Heliodor. So on some level, they probably couldn't. And being the fact that they're in a kingdom that's like frozen solid the whole time. I wonder if this is the kingdom where that uh, super tall, like old looking guy was. It was. Yeah. Okay. Which was just made even funnier. The fact that she's seems very short because she's shorter than Crystalinda is. But not that that I mean, not that that really matters. It's just a funny little anecdote that I thought. Well, not an anecdote, but whatever. Just a, let's move on. As she 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 steals some stuff, uh, she tries to steal some gold from the the guy, and they both get in trouble for it. And so it's kind of setting up this whole like greed thing because then they go back and they have this conversation about how you know what would you do if someday that we were rich and they were just kind of. You know, it's general brother, sister, you know, they love each other. That's all they have. He's trying to look out for her. She's trying to look out for him sort of deal. Uh, well, he, in, in one of the other flashbacks, goes on a raid. And he brings back this rusty looking uh, necklace thing. That she kind of throws him under the bus for it being rusty and, and grubby looking. Yeah, and, and when he's looking away, she like clearly like really cherishes it. And this is also where she comments that, oh, I really wanted the red orb of Heliodor. Yes. And it's that just makes it even more sad because, okay, of course, that's why he's been obsessed with the orb this whole time. Because that's what, you know, he lost his sister pretty much immediately after this. And that's what she really, really wanted because she was like, it's an orb as big as your head and that's got to be worth a whole lot. And it's very clear he didn't want to sell it. He wanted it because if someday he could help his sister, because at this point, give it to her. Yeah, exactly. Because the seer specifically told him 
if you find the luminary, that will lead to your path of forgiveness. And so from his perspective, I want that orb so I can eventually give it to my sister. So it's like even more of a huge deal that he gives it up to the luminary when you need to go to the Rainbow Road thing. Because it's like he understands and, that he's probably not going to get it back. And he retroactive and it retroactively again, like, you know, even our jokes we were making about him being obsessed with it. I kind of almost feel bad for this fake character now. Like uh, he didn't actually do that. But even if he had, it kind of makes sense now. Yeah. And, and, and so he. So, so she clearly cherishes it because, you know, he did something really nice for her and she's she's happy about it. And when she puts it on, she touches a copper piece and it turns to gold. I'm like, oh, cool. Midas touch. Looks like I was right. <laughs> yeah. And so she starts. Then the flashback kind of ends. Then it reboots the next one. And he comes back again. And he notices that she has this whole pile of stuff and she's turned a bird to gold. And that's important because at the end of the previous flashback, he was talking about how if we had wings, we could fly away from here. And he specifically looks at a bird that had landed nearby. And so he looks at her and he's like, what are you doing? This is wrong. You just, you straight up like killed this bird. And turned it to gold. Like, you've got to stop this. And they have this argument back and forth. And eventually they both apologize to one another. And she says, okay, you're right. I I agree. I'll take it off. And th- this, this is it. Surprise, surprise. She can't take it off. And immediately as soon as she tries, she starts turning into gold. Eric tries to slice at it with his knife, which turns to gold and kind of breaks away and then he drops it. So nothing happens to him. And then he reaches out to kind of help her as she is solidifying into gold. Cool. But yeah, this is going great. Super awesome. And then he's the very last thing that he's met with is this is all my fault. Cause when you come out of this, he remembers, Oh yeah. It was all my fault that this happened to her. I brought her this item that I thought she'd really like, and it turns out it was cursed. It's like, Eric, dude, I get that. How would you have known? There's no way for you to have known that this would have happened. He definitely wouldn't have, but I can also totally understand how somebody, you know, in grief like that would come to that conclusion. That's a very natural reaction but yes like he it's not like he could possibly have known yeah and i just i feel like this whole section i just feel so bad for eric and then right here as soon as this happened i was like cool she's the person turning everybody to gold she's obviously not here anymore something happened yeah and like this is actually like this bit with eric has felt like the most um kind of reminds me the most of, of previous Dragon Quest in the sense of, I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but if not, I've long had the opinion that the thing about Dragon Quest is the whole, like, go out and save the world and stuff is usually not super interesting. The thing that kind of, like, makes Dragon Quest work is the people that you meet and, like, the smaller stories within the larger one. And Eleven is certainly not doing anything different to suggest that the larger story is going to be any more amazing. Because, like we've said, you know, it's very predictable, and, I mean, it's fine, but it's not anything special. But 
the stuff like this thing with Eric or even just solving the problems of the individual towns has always felt to me like much more of what Dragon Quest is about. And this bit with Eric has been one of the better moments, even if it is really depressing. Like, I just thought that this was one of the parts that I think has been handled the best in the game so far. Yeah, and I got to be honest, like, it's probably just going to go downhill from here. Because I don't really know how they're going to top this as far as content-wise. And I don't have any, like, any real confidence based off of everything that I've seen in Act 2 so far. Yeah, I'll be honest, Act 2 has been pretty underwhelming compared to, like, Act 1 I I was very happy with. I mean, the main plot being kind of, eh, but, like, I was really enjoying the overall flow of the game, and Act 2 has definitely felt like a significant downgrade. Act 2 is like, you could have just skipped past pretty much all of it, with the exception of the Eric storyline, and I would have been totally fine with it. Yeah, that. so far that's been the only part of it that I've been like, I really, like, incl- like specifically we needed this. Well, that and Hendrick joining in his redemption arc. Those are really the two things that are yeah, like kind fair. of a big that, deal. That, that's a fair point. Yeah, the Hendrick stuff was good. Like, even the Master Pang stuff, like, with Rab, it didn't really matter. But, it wasn't... but then, also, the little things, like, could have easily... We really should have learned some of this stuff about Eric in Act 1. Like, we were saying, it. like, it's good that it was there, but it should have been way sooner. Yeah. Because, like, Eric would not have talked to himself this whole time. His His... Tag is literally Luminary's friend. Like, I, I'm pretty sure you know just about everything there is to know about me. Because you have, like, the update. Like, the daily update of everything that's going on in my life. <laughs> there's no way that Eric would not... There's no way that this just hasn't come up. Yeah, if he's truly his bosom buddy, there's no way he doesn't already know... Like, that they don't know this stuff about each other. And, like, why would he keep it a secret this whole time? Especially because it's, like, when they were going over in the orb, and then they were like, I guess they can do some foreshadowing after all. Oh, we were proven wrong, but this, again, is not the one that I'm talking about. Because he never, ever mentions why he wanted the orb so bad, and then he lies and says that he wants to sell it. I mean, there's all sorts of, like, not to say that he should necessarily talk about, you know, everything that's happened to him, but it really should not have been news to us in act two that he has a sister like that, that level of knowledge definitely should have come up by now. Like if you were to tell me tomorrow, like that you have a sister and this was the first time I had ever heard about it. I would have been like, what the heck is going on? How did I not know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. Like there's no way it would not have come up. Like, 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 you know, Oh, I, I was, uh, you know, Forced laborer for Vikings? Yeah, I could see maybe not bringing up that specific thing. Like, you know, some of it, all right, but we knew nothing about Eric, and that's really weird. Oh, it's like, oh, it's my fault my sister turned into gold and she's basically dead now? I'm like, okay, maybe that would not have come up, but the fact that you had a sister... And that she's, you know, dead or unavailable. Like, that's the sort of thing I would expect I would have already known about. She's unavailable. Like, you can't pick up the Luminary call. Like, the Luminary is basically just a cell phone at this point that he uses to contact other people. (laughs) You just hold his hand and it's like, yo, mom, what's up? How's it going today? He puts his hand on one of the roots and then the other person does it at the other side. And you have like 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 a landline telephone situation. That would be really funny. That's the Luminary of the future. You know, like they do Legend of Korra, and it's it's like in the future of the Avatar universe. Like, hey, there's peace, so like humanity progresses at a really quick rate. And um, 
<laughs> then it's like, oh, by the way, here is. Wait, what was I? I totally forgot. I forgot where I was going. <laughs> I, the, the I don't even remember where we were his, talking about. His phone, the luminary of the future and his phone network through the trees. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> it's just like the luminary of the future is just like used as like a cell tower or something. <laughs> be so funny. Mortigan's dead for good, so we don't need you for anything else. We're just going to use you for this. Yeah, it's like, I need my cell phone to work, so let's go. <laughs> Instead of the, like, um, trident-looking symbol, it's a cell phone tower on his on his wrist going forward. Yeah. Uh, so, so you make your way through this whole gold castle, and as you're going through the castle... And it's around this, this point that they also have the realization that these golden skeletons and stuff are the Vikings that have been transformed, which once again, it's like, I feel like you probably should have picked up on that slightly sooner by the fact they were in the Viking base and stuff. I mean, maybe, but who would have thought none of the people turned into skeletons. So like, why would the Vikings turn into gold skeletons? Because all the people in town are not like gold people that can just walk around. I mean, this implies that whatever this evil creature is, it straight up incinerated these these Vikings and then turned them into gold and then somehow gave them life. I mean, I suppose that's true, but like maybe they just have to be monsters to be able to still move around. And I have no idea. The implications are pretty strong in this section. Uh, but of course, the whole castle is gold. Everything is gold. And you go through this whole section, and it's the first time in the game that I've noticed that you got to ride a gigantic golem, which was kind of cool, except it basically does nothing, and it walks so slow. Yeah, I mean, I had the same reaction. I'm like, oh, I can get on this. And I was like, "What? why would I do that? Yeah, it's <laughs> like, what? I can't run anymore? This sucks. What's cool is you can clear out all the enemies in a room. By using the punch animation, it immediately just kills all the enemies except for the go other golems. But then the other golems wake up and then come right to you. And it's like, oh, well, that's not really what I wanted because I just want right. to get out of here. Well, and also, like, if there were enemies I would want to one hit kill, it would be the golems because they were the most annoying enemies. <laughs> Other than, I guess, maybe the fake slot machines. Those were kind of annoying. But I didn't use any of those. Oh. I I just assumed that they were all enemies, and I was like, I'm just going to move past. I didn't no, fight really anything in here. No, if you check them, most of them have a bunch of casino tokens, but then occasionally you got like a slot machine mimic. Oh, man. How many tokens? Well, what's the highest number of tokens you got? Uh, I mean, by your standard, it's not going to be worth it at all. I think the highest one was like 500. <laughs> okay, so that's... We're... we're I'm like Bill Gates in this universe. Right, that's what I'm saying. That like, is it pointless to me. It is a waste of my time to pick up those 500 tokens. Overall, though, I'm pretty sure I got a couple thousand out of the whole dungeon, which, you know, again, not a ton, but it was still kind of nice. That's like the minimum bet I place on any random thing. That's nothing to me. A couple thousand. So so I blast through this section. I basically just walk through the whole thing and you get to the end of it and oh, oh, oh man. Oh surprise surprise. It's Mel, his sister, which, you know, once again this is an example of us 
knowing what was going to happen way before the characters do, because the characters are all like, oh, we have to go find this horrible man who stole Eric's sister. It's like, mm. <laughs> Like, no. And then you get the flashback of Mortigan came to me and saved me when you're a failure and you suck and you're horrible and I hate you. Okay, cool. Like, there's, he's basically an all-powerful demon at this point. Like, there's nothing. There's literally nothing I could do here. I just met the luminary, and we kind of needed to deal with that first before I said, "Hey, man, can you really do me a solid and go save my sister as well? Like, if that's possible." And so you have this fight with her, and it, it's like. She's like, get ready. I'm going to destroy you. And I'm like, (laughs) no, you're not. No, you are not. It's not even going to be close. Complete and utter obliteration. Absolutely mop the floor with with her turning into this giant bull. I kind of felt bad a little. She didn't actually turn into it. It was like a mecha thing because when you beat it, it like opens up and she's like sitting in the head like it's a cockpit. Either way. I do absolute annihilation. But I will actually say this was one that um, this was a fight that I actually had some trouble with. Uh, I mean, I, I, uh, there, there was a point where I actually thought I was going to wipe. It got pretty close. So I wanted to mention that to, to be fair, because like you had trouble with the spider. I want, I did want to be honest and say, you know, this, this fight I did was nowhere near me annihilating them. Interesting. What part did you have trouble with? Just the fight in general, or was there any well, just when she kept move? turning enemies, when she kept turning party members into gold, and it was like a paralyzed, but you couldn't do anything about it. Oh yeah. So losing somebody for two or three turns, if it was like Rab or somebody like Rab or the Luminary who were like main healer duty, uh, you know that was kind of a big deal. Why do you not use Hustle Dance? Do you not know about Hustle Dance? I didn't so i'll keep that in mind for the future Uh, silvando's hustle dance is like really really good if an enemy does like an all-out attack and does like 100 or 200 damage to everybody one hustle dance with silvando and everyone's right back to good it's awesome i love using hustle dance so what i would normally do is if somebody really needed health i just switch out a party member bring silvando in and hustle dance and we're good Okay, I will remember that in the future. On a couple of time, on a couple of different occasions, she froze two people at once. Yeah. Uh, for me, I was kind of like, "Oh, well that's just annoying." So I just switched a couple part I just switched switched out when I got low on health, but I wasn't 57 at this point. I was around like 52, I think, when I was here. And yeah, I was like 47, I think. So I, it, it really wasn't bad for me. Had I known, had I realized about Hustle Dance, I probably would have had a better chance of it. But yeah, the, it was the turning people into gold was what was really annoying, especially if she did it when she'd summoned the other monsters to help her, because then it would just be a lot of attacks that I couldn't do anything about. Because I'm pretty sure Hustle Dance is also less MP than what the multi-heals are. Because multi-heal only does a, it says at least 90 Hustle Dance is base. It just says a amount of HP. Maybe it's just because I have all this. Maybe I just have a bunch of healing stuff on him or something. I mean, it could it'd just be a matter of like, if it's Hustle Dance, it may be using charm and Silvando's got like an absurd amount of charm. 
Yeah, and so I do it heals for about I think the lowest I've seen is 130, but it's usually around 150 and above. Okay. I will definitely be sure to to use Hustle Dance more then cuz I think I'm sure I've seen it, but I don't think I ever tried it. I I did use his um like I do use the region status a lot between like Rab's Right as Rain and Silvando's like Remid Heal or whatever it is. I do lean on those a lot. I don't even bother with those because Honestly, when you start using Hustle Dance, you probably won't need to, because when you get to a, because when you can just easily switch party members out at any point, you can just switch Rab for Silvando, do a Hustle Dance, and then bring Rab back in to do magic attacks if he really wanted to. Because that's yeah, generally no, I'll what I do. Give it a try in the future, because I didn't realize it was that effective. Yeah, Hustle Dance is really good, at least from my perspective. I've had really, really good luck with it. I mean, I still use it now. I will generally say I do tend to think, like, going back to what we were talking about, about magic not being amazing, I do think a lot of the character abilities wind up being more powerful than the spells, so I definitely see, definitely agree with you on that. Abilities are so, so, so powerful. I basically only use spells when I'm like, okay, Hustle Dance isn't going to be enough because my one party has just gotten dumped on for... Like, the last three rounds, they've only attacked the Luminary, so he's got, like, 50 HP left. I guess I need to do a either full heal or the other one. But usually More what I'll do, whatever, yeah. usually what I'll end up doing is I won't do the full heal. I'll do the more heal, and then I'll bring in Silvando, Hustle Dance, and then get everybody back up to max. So I really, really, I cannot sing Hustle Dance's praises enough. You should totally use it. It's a really good, and, and it's an ability. I think it's only like 12 MP, or it might be even less than that, but, but for the amount of healing that it does, because I'm pretty sure more heal is 24, or multi-heal is 24, and if I remember right, this was like less than half or about half as much. Yeah, multi-heal costs a lot. That is very true. And Hustle Dance Which is actually part of why I leaned a lot on the regen spells, because they were way cheaper. Yeah, bro. Hustle Dance all day, baby. Hustle, okay. hustle, hustle. And if you really are low on MP at that point, Rab has a thing where it's like, oh, just send MP to another character. I've never had to do this, but you can just use Rab to send MP over to Silvando. The only fight that I've had where MP has been like truly a problem was the Booga fight. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever used that ability, and I used it so that way I could get more Quadra Slashes out of the Luminary. That's the only time that MP has ever been a problem for me. Just because he kept using the drain MP from everybody's skill like every other turn, it seemed like. Oh, he did, yeah. Booga was just a pain. Booga was such a pain. It was more of a pain just because the first time I fought Booga, uh, because I I lost to Booga, but I lost to Lu- Booga from bad luck. But the first time that I fought Booga, it was I had wasted everything on Jade because I was just kind of testing things out and I really wanted to get solar flare off because I was like, I don't know. I was just playing around and having fun. I didn't realize there'd be an immediate second boss fight. What's really nice about having Rab in the party is when you have Rab and the luminary both pepped up, Rab can't do nearly as much damage as the luminary does. So I use Unbridled Blade with the Luminary, and then when it gets over to Rab's turn, then I bust out Solar Flare and get another like four to five hundred damage. 
Actually, now that you mentioned being pepped up, that's the other thing about the fight with Mel that kept throwing me off was she had the move that would take away all your status effects, including pep. Oh, I didn't. I don't think I even used pep on her. Because, like, I, I have a tendency of saving my, like, my pep powers until, like, I've gotten the maximum benefit of the pep. So, like, I'll want to go a few turns with just the boosted stats and stuff. And I kept forgetting about the fact that she would do that, and then she kept taking away my pep, and I'm like, well, that was a waste. I don't do that at all, because my people do so much damage otherwise, it doesn't matter. I do. I did have pep for her, because I used Solar Flare on the Luminary's turn, and I got annoyed. Because I was like, I could have done literally any other move as the Luminary, and then when it got to Rab's turn, I could have done Solar Flare, and then I would have picked up the lower amount of damage that Rab does on his turn and like it it to me it was just a wasted turn because I could have done more damage overall in that round if I had just waited till Rab's turn. Stuff like that annoys me because I like to get the maximum benefit. You like min maxing, yes, we know. Yeah. Whereas you like getting the maximum benefit of saving pet powers. I use them when it's like, okay, this is the most appropriate time for a damage potential perspective. But so after you beat Mel, which I will say that that Golden Palace was a relatively long dungeon too. It's not the longest we've had because I still think the longest was inside the mural, but it was pretty, pretty sizable. I thought it was only long for me because I got lost. I literally had to look up how to progress from floor two to three because I got so lost. I wa- I swear I walked around the dungeon like five times. Other than that, it didn't seem long to me at all. Of course, I didn't fight everything in there, nor did I look at the tokens. So I was just walking through it, and eventually I got annoyed, and I was like, how the heck do you get through here? And there's this one part where you immediately go up two staircases, and I only ever went up one staircase because for whatever reason, the second one didn't even register to me when I went up it. When you beat Mel, you go back automatically to Sniffleheim, and she's resting under the care of the priest. No, well, wait a minute. Oh, no, wait, yes, right. as hold soon up. As I said that. I'm like, wait. I just left over a very important thing that I was literally just thinking about, and then somehow forgot to mention. Once you beat the boss fight part, the cursed necklace thing, like she gets like a power surge sort of thing, and sends out a bunch of tentacles that block everybody else except you and. And uh, Eric, and then Eric has this whole thing of like, you know, where he's basically psyching himself up to have to kill her because he thinks it's the only way. Yeah. And it's like, bro. And yet again, it's just like, oh, my God. What? And and the, and the luminary for like the first time in history, he's like looking at him like, uh, she's clearly calling for help, man. She doesn't want death. And he's he's getting ready to be like, I can do this. I can do this. It's got to be me. I have to end this um, for, for everybody's safety. Because I also sent you a text message that goes, I bet Eric has to choose between her and the townspeople. And he's going to have to kill her. And this is going to be horrible. And I was like, wow, man, I'm really just, I'm batting a thousand today. And then the luminary looks over and it gives you a choice. I have to assume this is one of those things where you can't say no, but I wonder if this is actually a choice in the game where you can make and say no. I actually, I have to assume it's going to be yet another, if you say no, he's just going to stand there still psyching himself up until you say yes. Because 
and I almost want to look that up because it's like a he's literally about to do it, and your thing is, do I stop him or not? And I was I was not willing to. T- I've been cheeky this whole game, but I was not willing to take a no on this one. And I was immediately like, yeah, dude, no. And the luminary comes up and he's like, uh, Eric, hey, man, can I pull you aside for a second? Uh, that's clearly not the the answer, uh, man. You don't kill her, dude. Just walk up there, give her a hug, and like save her from this situation. And Eric's like, oh. I mean, but... You know, that's a good point. Even then, though, like, because when he does actually jump up there and do it, he still gets turned into gold and stuff. It's not like it's not like he was wrong. that It was a huge risk and there was no way to do it safely because he just straight up doesn't do it safely and becomes a statue. Well, yes, but what he needed to do was sacrifice himself for his sister. I mean, this yeah. is Andrew. This entire section is frozen. It's just split up over multiple arcs. And I mean, that's of, a fair point. I didn't even think about the Frozen connection to, the sec- to this Act 2 stuff, but you're totally right. Like, dude, it's Frozen. He has to sacrifice himself to save his sister, and then through the power of love, she is able to take off the necklace, break the curse, and save everybody. It's Frozen. Yeah, you're not wrong. So, having done that, once the curse is broken, yeah, she collapses, and everybody who... I mean, Eric turns back into normal, so presumably everybody else does, too. And you you go back to Sniffleheim. Which is going to be real awkward, because those Vikings... Uh, do they turn back to normal? Because that's going to be disgusting. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen there. That's a fair point. What's going to happen here? I, uh, after, actually, after we're done, when I play next, I'm going to sail back to the Viking headquarters just to see what it's going on over there. Because <laughs> I didn't go back there either. It didn't even occur to me, but now that you mentioned that, I'm really curious what it's going to be like. I'm like, uh, what happened to the, is there just going to be a bunch of skeleton bodies everywhere? You do have to walk through it to go back to Sniffelheim, I thought. You at least had to get back to the very end, or maybe I'm wrong there. I, I thought it, t- it just jumped you straight there. It might have. I don't remember, but I thought it was just like immediate exit. And I would have been too lazy to go back, so it's very possible that it was just immediate exit. But then the priest is like, oh, hey, by the way, she's going to be totally fine. She's just, she just got to like, rest for a while. Yeah. It's just like the luminary. She's got to take a nap for a while, and she'll be good to go. And then Eric's like, okay, well, we've got, you know, We've got other business to take care of now that this is resolved, like going and fighting Mordigan. Thanks, buddy. I'm glad that you got to have something nice happen to you because your life has been really lousy. Yeah, and then it he he flashes back to the seer, and what's he keeps calling the seer a he? Well, that would presumably mean the seer came to him in a male form because she could obviously do that. Except for the fact that she didn't, because In the slime section and in the previous sections of the game, she's clearly what the seer is when the luminary looks at her. It's very clearly a girl. But he, but she also specifically um, refers to herself as a he when when she's the slime too. So she she clearly shows up in both forms. I understand that, but 
Eric has seen the seer multiple times as a female at this point. Because the game, up until the Luminary, the game has only presented the seer as a woman. And I am almost positive he referred to the seer as a woman because I am I am sure that we said in the previous sections of this game the mysterious seer woman that he keeps talking about. Yeah, I I, I want to say that's right because I was just thinking the same thing, but... Yeah, I don't know. But yes, he does keep referring to the seer as male in this section. And I'm like, uh, do they just like not pay attention to anything else in the rest of it? It seems like act two was written by a completely different team. It's like act one, act two, act three. You just kind of do whatever. And by the way, this is going to be boom. Here's this world. Come up with a reason for them to go everywhere. Um, and then we're just going to smash it together. All three, all three reasons. Develop so backstories we- for each of them, and just don't worry about it. That's why Eric <laughs> never mentions his sister. Like honestly, it feels like, and I haven't been in. I don't. I'm not in Act Three yet, so I have no idea. But it feels like Act One and Act Two were written by two different teams. Yeah, it really does. You're not wrong. It's like they had a deadline or something that they had to get it out, and they were like, "Well, okay, let's do the writing at the same time." <laughs> and I'm wondering if Act 3 is going to be completely tonally different as well, or if it's going to feel like Act 1 or Act 2. Because if it feels like any of them, I really hope it feels like Act 1. I would expect if it's going to feel like one of them, it's going to feel like Act 1, because Act 2 feels like it's just sort of attached. But, I mean, it's possible Act 3 is going to feel the same way. I don't know. Yeah. And with Eric's story done... That's going to do it for this episode of Video Games Cover to Cover. Uh, presumably, we're going to be headed back to Arborea, finally. You know, the, the thing we keep being told we're supposed to go to, and then keep getting sidetracked. So, maybe we'll be going to Arborea, or maybe we're going to have some emergency in Lulu we have to go to. I have no idea. But, as always, you can find us on Discord, or via email, or via our Twitter account, and the descriptions will be included, and the links will be included in the episode description, along with a link to our website now going forward. I am the Luminary. 